My mother was a woman of tremendous integrity. My mother was curious, sensitive, compassionate, honest, always there for us, unflappable, loyal, complicated. She is devoted, resilient, dazzling, giving, vivacious, extraordinary. I have many a day where I'm thinking, okay, I am getting pretty frustrated here. And I could hear my mom. And just when I'm thinking I'm going to give up, I hear her, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. You've got to have that stick to itiveness, Aaron. Welcome to Our Mothers Ourselves, a weekly conversation about one extraordinary mother. I'm Katie Hafner, and I'm your host. Be like you. Tell me, tell me, mama, what do I got to do? I know you know. On the off chance that the name Aaron Brockovich is unfamiliar to you, here's a quick refresher. In the 1990s, Aaron Brockovich, a legal clerk from Lawrence, Kansas, embarked on a long legal battle to help the residents of a Southern California town whose health was ruined by toxic chemicals from a PG&E plant. It was thanks to Aaron's doggedness that PG&E ended up paying millions of dollars to the victims. Julia Roberts played her in the movie Aaron Brockovich, which came out in 2000. As it happens, it was Aaron's mom, Betty Jo Petit, who gave her daughter such over-the-top determination to keep on fighting, whatever that fight may be. Aaron joined me recently to talk about Betty Jo, who died in 2008 at the age of 84. Aaron Brockovich, thank you so much for joining me to talk about your mom. She's the best. I couldn't think of something better to talk about than my mom. I, I could talk forever about Betty Jo. Um, I found a picture of her, and I'm looking Aww. at this picture. I know it's the sweetest picture, and I thought, wait a minute, she looks a lot like somebody. And I thought, she looks exactly like Eve Arden. Has anyone ever said wow, that? Wow, no, yeah. but what, I have to. What picture you have of her? Okay, I'm going to text her to you right now. So, Oh, um, wonderful. Here it comes. You are, no, you're the first. The only picture I could find of her was the one that I think, oops, did you get it? Well, I see the picture of Eve Arden. Yeah. No, um, I could see why you think that. I know, and right? And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, it, you know what? I think it's the nose. I think it's the nose. It's wow. I'll share that with my siblings. Good eye. <laughs> Good eye, Oh, right? my mom. So right off the bat, I want to ask you, if you were to think of one word to describe your mother, what would that word be? <sighs> it can't just be one. I'm trying to put one word into... You get one. stick to because because it embodies hope it embodies mm -hmm. determination it embodies passion um, it embodies persistence and i have stick to it in this because of my mom you know dogged persistence born of obligation and, and determination and it's all about um you know stubbornness really <laughs> i mm -hmm. think so many of us are but Stick-to-itiveness's definition is noun, propensity to follow through in a determined manner. Are you Dogged, persistence, torn of obligation, <laughs> and stubbornness. No, it's in my head. 
And it is because of my mom. So let's go back to her. Um, she was born in 1923. Three. Right? My dad mm-hmm. was, I think, 24. Mm-hmm. And she was born in Oklahoma. Correct. Ponca City. Uh-huh. And Home of the Pioneer Woman. So exactly, the Pioneer Woman. What, mm-hmm. So what do you know about her childhood? You know, we used to kind of laugh and I know we'd call her Nellie from um, Little House on the Prairie because my mom loves sugar. She loves her sweets and she'd always get sweets out of, you know, my grandpa, her daddy's store. And what kind of store did he have? Grocery store. And he was, oh my gosh, he was just always down in the church and always singing. And mom was always humming and singing. And there was always a vibration of faith and happiness um, with my mom. Mm -hmm. And she was that way as a little girl. And Vera, her mom is, for me, it was laughter. And I know that's what she grew up with because that's who she is. And we used to go visit all the time down in Ponca City and uh, the house that her parents built and and seeing pictures of her. She had another sister named Dorothy. And um, it was, you know, they were outdoors. They spent a great deal of time down there with the the Ponca Nation. Um, And she spent a great deal of time up at the the Pioneer Woman um, Parks. Um, She was, she's just was such a representation of that as a child. And they would talk about, you know, BJ outside and she was always taking the lead or taking the charge or um, giving back or involved. And she learned that they said as as a kid and, and just being around her father in the store and everybody that came in and the help that they needed and mm-hmm. how she responded as a young child. Did she, so she had how many siblings? One. And it, they owned the store during the, the great depression and it was one of the few stores around. So she was always helpful to everyone that came in. And mm-hmm. I remember these stories mm-hmm. um, being at my grandparents' house. So your mom worked in the store. Yeah. I mean, she was just, um, you know, it's interesting because as she graduated with a degree in sociology and journalism. So that helps explain who she was as a child, even though I wasn't around what I've learned from her and from my grandma and grandpa and her sister and um, her compassion for people and interest and wanting to help. She exhibited that as a young child and asking a lot of questions. And um, she had a huge heart and always understanding somebody that maybe didn't have the, the luxury or came a long way for groceries or Um, She would be the one that would say, you know, can we throw that in? Um, Just that at a very young age exhibited that kind of compassion for others and wanting to help and understanding and very inquisitive. So Mm -hmm. that's, you know, again, I wasn't there with her, but I could tell you who she was as my mom, but that's um, her upbringing in Ponca City, Oklahoma. And uh, her father was uh, Thomas Bird O'Neill and uh, her mom was uh, Vera. The, the, the O'Neills. The O'Neills. Um, and when she went away to college, did she ever talk to you about whether her parents thought it was a good idea? I mean, so she went in the 40s during the war. Yes. She was, uh, she and my father both are Gamma Phi Beta and Sigma Chi sweethearts. Um, he was a big ball player and they, they met through friends that way, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they were together through most of school and got married and I had that 63-year love affair. And And she was studying journalism and sociology Mm -hmm. at the University of Kansas. Yes. And did she want to be a journalist? And then did she become a journalist? 
I think it was a little bit of both because for a while she was also a school teacher and dealing with me as a mom was somebody who had a learning disability. I mean, all these things were exhibited in her as, as that I see as my mother. Uh Um, So school teacher and, um, and she had a dual degree from KU. And so she was a huge KU fan. She ultimately ended up working at the KU Alumni Association. It started as editor in chief, but ultimately retired as acting director. And I remember as a child hearing her out on the typewriter at two in the morning and she would fly to all other hosts and events like, you know, the KU alumni would have all these worldly trips. And my mom and dad were always the host and the host. And mom was flying around Kansas on the little pedal jumper planes doing different stories about somebody from KU. And, and um, I can still hear her typewriter going in my head at two in the morning. So she loved her job. Oh, she loved her job. She loved the people in her job. She loved meeting people, going out. And um, she was just so involved in the education and the university and keeping that alumni together and doing all the stories for the KU magazine, the, the Kansas University Alumni Association and the magazine. This is where stick to comes from. Um, she used to always tell me, you know, when I'd have a bad day, especially when it comes to school, um, you know, I just felt like giving up and she'd always say, oh, you know, you have to you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. You've got to have that stick to itiveness, Erin. And uh, she exemplified that and just through her own, you know, determination and love for her own work. Um, she, Mom was always positive. Always. You never saw her have a bad day? Like, like she'd have a bad day. Like any one of us could be frustrated with, you know, <laughs> a skirt. Um, or something like that, but she, in watching her in her work, uh, her Mm -hmm. enthusiasm, her, she just had this, you got to have faith. You have to believe, um, energy and connection with people and was always hopeful. And you know, she'd always say, don't let your dauber get you down. Don't let your what get you down? Don't let your dauber get down. What's your dauber? What? Uh, I don't know. It's one of our one of our Kansas slang words, I think, possibly. <laughs> Just don't be down in the dumps. Put your dauber down. Yeah. That's what <laughs> she would always say. I know you hate that skirt. <laughs> I know. Those were the things that would uh throw you. <laughs> yeah. But she'd get past it. She and- just was always um always. And anybody and everybody would tell you that about VJ Petty. BJ, so not that people called her BJ. Yes. So um, tell me about watching your mom and your dad interact. One thing that I, I love hearing about is great relationships. Sounds like they had one. They did. If they had any issues, it would always be talked out. But my parents were married 63 years and they adored each other. My dad worked full time. She worked full time. But they had great friends and they loved to, you know, golf together. They traveled together. They, I remember in my childhood more laughter with my parents and mm-hmm. gatherings with their friends. Um, I, never, I never saw a fight. There could be a disagreement, but it wasn't a fight. And it would be quickly resolved through c- communication. Mm-hmm. They were both great communicators. Growing up was easy. Um, 
in some respects for me. It was peaceful. I felt loved. My parents were always together. Uh, if there was any, Amazing. and there was just a great love. Um, you know, my dad is a person that taught me so much about respect and my mom had that. It was respect for each other mm-hmm. and respect for opinions. And um, it was happiness. So she must have gotten that from her family, right? At this- oh, it had to have been. Um, I, my grandma and grandpa, Vera and, and uh, TB, that's what they called him. Um, again, laughter, happiness, thankfulness, mm-hmm. um, fortitude if things are down. We will get through it. And were they Oklahomans too? Were there yes. generations of Oklahomans? Uh, my dad, my grandfather, Thomas Burt, was from Arkansas. Oh, from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Even my grandma and grandpa were married for probably 60-some years. Uh, the happiness, uh, and it's interesting having this conversation with you, um, both Vera and my mom, and it, well, it really takes me back to that pioneer woman, which I think they were. We'll sing our way through it. We'll laugh our way through it. We'll be here for each other through it. That is my grandmother, Vera, and my mom, Betty Jo. It sounds like you, too. I know. It's really weird having this conversation with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds like it's, a, it's an intergenerational trait, if it were something that you could find on a gene. Then. Yeah. yeah. That's true. And, and I, you know, I learned it you know, to this day. Uh, I have many a day where I'm thinking, okay, I am getting pretty frustrated here. And I could hear my mom. And just when I'm thinking I'm going to give up, I hear, where's your stick to When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And along with that, I, I can still hear laughing in the background, having conversations with friends and inquisitiveness, but talking, talking, communicating, communicating. That was such a big deal for my mom, even as an educator, which she was at one time, an understanding of people, that communication, that respect, that uh, respect that you feel that way or I feel this way. And even having this conversation with you, I'm like going, wow, is that what we're missing today? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Can you, so what's a good example? Can you think of an example where she was, it was hard and she just powered through it? I think it was frustrating for her, even with me as my, as my mom and hers, my daughter, I'm a dyslexic. My mom had a great skill of observation, mm-hmm. especially with her children. Moms are keen on this. Mm-hmm. They you are. Know, I work with so many moms and the environmental issues, and they're the first ones. They're very intuitive. They're very keen. Moms started noticing subtle changes like putting my shoes on the wrong feet. Mm-hmm. Um, she started noticing subtle changes in school. So she, and even though no one even understood it, she persevered and pushed me through that system. She was the one that didn't let me fall through the cracks. She never gave up hope on me. My mom is the one that taught me and said, just because she's different, doesn't mean she's inferior. And she never want me to she never wanted me to think about myself that way because I'm different. And that was early the dyslexia. I mean that yes. was very early to diagnose dyslexia. Uh, well the diagnosis actually came later. So it was everyone knew that there was some learning disability, even my mom. But my mom also knew she goes, no, you can't beat her at a game of fish. You can't. Mm-hmm. So she's learning some way. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't fit that in that certain, you know, square peg, that 
therefore I wasn't learning. So she worked and pushed through the schools and the school teachers and outside, you know, tutoring or herself sitting and working with me. So she saw something. She didn't judge it. She knew I could lose my self-esteem because of it and how she would keep me feeling solid about myself, but also how she would unravel what is going on with her. And that was amazing. Uh, it's, it's difficult when there is a learning disability. Um, and and you, Well, and you must have felt like she was completely supporting you or else you could have given up. But she, she was, was my biggest cheerleader. Ugh. And she, there wasn't a judgment and she saw something was different, but she also saw that she knew I was learning, but she also saw that I was getting set up and inside a box and she didn't want me in there. She wanted me to know if a door closes, a window opens. So there was always this, even though there was an obstacle, Mm -hmm. It wasn't this, oh, it's an obstacle. It's insurmountable. We can't get past it. She says, no, we can't. Let's back up. Let's go around it. Let me see what this is. Talking to the school teacher, extra classes. You know, I had problems with numbers, but it wasn't until high school that we were really learning what you're dealing with the dyslexia because it was such an unknown. Did you confide in her um, about boys? No. (laughs) Okay. No, um, my mom, you know, was very, very private about issues like that. Mm-hmm. I might have talked to my sister about it, but mm-hmm. mostly my girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. even if I had one, she would have known. See, uh-huh. BJ had eyes in the back of her head. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started doing your um, very important work. So you moved to California. When you started doing your work, was she? Comp- did you explain to her what you were doing? Was she completely supportive then and told you to stick to it? Absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, my dad was instrumental there as well. Um, I just remember my mom, um, even at one of my first keynote addresses after the film had come out in Topeka, Kansas, and she was there, and. She just looked at me and she would cry and she would just say, I'm so proud of you. I think that, you know, she went through, she just, she never stopped believing. She never stopped being that cheerleader and she never made it about her. She was just so proud of me. She She was such a beautiful woman. Mothers are so beautiful. So what you just said, she never made it about her. That's key, isn't it? Yeah. She was just, she just, she goes, where did you learn all this? I'm like, are you kidding me, mom? Uh, you, <laughs> you, you taught me how to fight through it. And she knew that a child, a child should never lose hope or slide through that crack. Mm-hmm. And if she could keep that fire alive in me to believe in myself, I would be okay. And I was that support and that, belief that she believed in me and that I needed to believe in myself and she was going to help me get there. And she did it with laughter and love and, you know, silliness. And so I didn't like really just get into this dark place. Mm -hmm. She was not a dark place person. Oh no, she was not. She, she had light and energy and love and hope and faith. You know, I talked to her, you know, through high school and, um, 
especially after I started having my children about spirituality. And she would always tell me, you just, you have to have faith. You have to, to trust in, in the universe. You know, the sun will rise tomorrow. These were always the things or the beauty of thunder that scared me. Mm. She and her mom would always tell me it was God bowling. God bowling? Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was the thunder when he made a strike. <laughs> so, you know, I'd become intrigued. Oh, and it became less fearful for me. Um, and so when I was scared, when I was feeling down in the mouth, you know, in the dauber, as my mom would say, don't let the dauber get down. Um, it would be risen with, again, laughter and taking fear or angst away from something mm-hmm. and turning it in to hope. And what, what, um, religion was she? You know, I asked her that and, um, I don't know that she practiced any really religion. And that's why I started with that conversation. I asked her about that. You just have to have faith well, in the universe. That's, that, that, that's also very early on to, mm-hmm. to be spiritual without one denomination or another. Correct. She grew up, um, especially her father down just singing in the churches. But we, when she became an adult and had um, a family, we, we weren't in church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. But there was always with mom, and I'd always check in with her on this, and I'm still, I am still this way. I am connected to this earth. That is her faith. Mm-hmm. The rain, the wind, the water. It must have been really tough to lose her. Oh, my gosh. Well, So I'll tell you the story. Um, I was, mom had, was definitely getting older. Um, She was about 82, 83 maybe. And she was showing some signs of dementia. Um, It was never diagnosed Alzheimer's, but we were seeing that and Mm. straying and forgetfulness. um, And she and dad had always planned for, as they got older, um, assisted living home. And so she was there for a few months. um, And my dad was definitely aging as well. And it was very difficult. um, But the dementia definitely started to to get worse. <laughs> and I was very connected to my mom, and I was in Chicago at a keynote address, and I had missed 16 phone calls. And it was my dad. He said, I think you need to come home. And I was in Chicago, so I was an hour flight away, and I got home. And I went uh, with my dad, and she was definitely not, not good. And my brother Frankie and the family showed up and we were all there and and with her. And she was kind of like, you know, she was transitioning. It was obvious. And she, Mm -hmm. she was there, but not, but, and I went home with my dad and we talked and, um, I said, you know, I got to think I'm going to go back. He goes, well, we can go again tomorrow. I'm like, "Mm, no, I think I'm going to go back. Mm -hmm. I went in the room and I got her favorite photos of the family and I went back and put all the pictures up and a candle and I lit it and I crawled in bed with her and I tucked her up under my arm and kind of rocked her. And I have never sobbed like that in my life. Oh. The just tears and snot were running off my face and dripping onto her. And I let her know how 
amazing. She was. And I said, if you need to go, I support you. And I could feel her transitioning. And I just held her like a baby. And I rocked and I just told her thank you and how much I loved her and that it was okay and how proud I was of her. And when she took that last breath, and I, I just, I'll never forget it. I just screamed from the top of my voice. I said, oh my God, you made it. I said, I am so proud of you, mom. You made it home. And it was, I just, the most miraculous moment I've ever shared. Um, and you could feel it. And I wouldn't have missed that moment for anything in the world. You have that hunch to go back, right? Absolutely. I knew it. Uh, I knew it. And, and she called me home. She called me there. And I've learned death is, we always think is death is bad. And my mom knew I was very afraid of death. And it was interesting that I was the one that through that process, and it is a process, called me there. Um, and because of that, uh, a lot of my fear uh, uh, surrounding death went away. It, it's a transition. Um, if we'll allow it. And it, it was um, an incredible moment. I will never forget it. You know, while you were talking, I had one thought, which is that that photo I sent you of Eve Arden, it's not just the nose. It's that, it's the twinkle in the eye. Oh, I was, <laughs> when I first said it and I said nose, I almost came back and it says, I think it's the eyes too. Yeah. So that's very Don't fascinating you that you see that. Yes, I do. And we all have such, um, you know, mothers are so special and unique. And um, it was, a, I was blessed. Yep. And you were blessed that you had her. Oh, my gosh. Think of all the She's, bad moms out there, right? <laughs> I know. I mean, my daughters and I, we've gone through those phases. Yeah, like, you're the worst mother ever. You know, because, you know I'm sorry because yeah. I don't agree with you, but... Um, yeah, mother. That there's a, a wonderful connection. Yeah, uh, for mothers, especially with our children. I think about that. You know, um, there's a connection with them before they, they even present themselves. You know, as they're growing in our wombs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cellular. Yeah, and there's. I nothing- felt very cellularly connected with my mom, even in her passing. Yeah, there's just nothing quite like it that particular connection. Correct. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about your amazing mom. (laughs) Thank you for having me. And and thank you for doing something like this. I think there's, especially these days, a a moment for us to check in again and remember. You know, that's why I started this podcast. I was so down and depressed right before Mother's Day, and I thought, I've just got to do something, because I was writing about COVID for the New York Times. It was so depressing, and I and I just thought, I have got to do something uplifting and positive, and I thought, I am going to find offspring of amazing mothers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, you know, 
I'm so glad you are doing this. And in this moment, of, it's so tumultuous for us all. I know. To have this reprieve and a conversation with you to look back right. on my mom and that hope and that light and that determination makes me believe again today that that is the message I'm going to carry on. And we will mm-hmm. persevere and we will get through it. Yeah. Exactly what my mom would always say to me. And that's it this week for our mothers ourselves. I had editing help this week from Joseph Francis. Our theme song was composed and performed by Andrea Perry. And Paula Mangin is our artist in residence. If you have an amazing mother to suggest for the podcast, send an email to ourmothersourselves at gmail.com. Our Mothers Ourselves is a production of Odredek Studios. I'm Katie Hafner, and I'm your host. Have a safe week, everyone.